the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 594 for Sunday, February 28th. Not quite the end. <laughs> uh, 2016. <laughs> GG, the Mac Observer's Mac Geek of the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found like Car Talk for Apple Geeks. We answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found. And together, the goal is to learn at least two new things. No, no, three new things each and every time we get together here every week. Sponsors for this episode include iMazing at iMazing.com. Com, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. A new sponsor, Power Photos from Fat Cat Software, uh, which we'll talk about shortly here. And Betterment, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T dot com slash MGG, where you can start investing here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, Waiting for that extra day that we get every four years, Dave. I know. This it's is, like a bonus. This is John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? Eh, hanging. You know. Hanging. You made it through the intro. I was, uh, it was, it was touch and go there for a little bit, but you know, you got through. You remember what year it was? Yeah, I got it right this time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I was just thrown because, you know, again, we have that uh, leap day, I guess you call it, right? Yeah, but it doesn't change what year we're in. But I get it. Yeah, it's it's something else to think about tomorrow or later today as you're planning to dive headfirst into March 1st. It's not quite yet. Let's, uh, you know what, let's get rolling here. Will, we've got a bunch of quick tips this week and Will starts us off. He says, I like listening to music through my noise canceling Bose headphones while studying as I find absolute silence is strangely distracting. However, Often the lowest volume setting is actually too loud and for me too distracting through my headphones. So I flip between music on and music off more distraction. However, I found this key combination shift option and volume down. It decreases the volume by 25% of the normal increment. So four per each increment. It works the very same way using volume up, of course. This means instead of the standard 16 volume increments, there are 64. Less important in the mid and upper ranges, but at the lower levels or in quiet noise conditions, it can make all the difference in the world. Being an audiophile, you probably already knew this, but just in case, I wanted to let you know. That's a great quick tip. And I did know that, but I, I had actually forgotten about it until I got your email, Will. So this is good stuff. And... Bonus tip add-on from Alex in the chat room at macgeekgab.com slash stream. He says that keystroke also works with brightness as well, which I did not know. So you can uh, shift option with brightness and really get those granular controls going. So uh, there's a twofer for you that we didn't even know was going to be a twofer. You're probably already one up on your three uh, to break through the bar. So it may be you're two up on the three to break through the bar, folks. So, you know, we're, we're getting you there quick today. It's good stuff. Did you know about those, John? 
Uh, I think I came across them in a compilation of keyboard shortcuts. Yeah. You know, I was looking for Dave, but I think they have since uh, retired them. But QuickTime had something similar where you could exceed the limits. Uh, I think there was one where you could actually go beyond. You could you could give it 150%, but it, it seems oh. that's no longer part of the QuickTime player, at least huh. not the standalone one. I, right. I, I seem to recall there was something you could do holding down shift or another key when you had the QuickTime player and you could you could... Similarly, um, monkey around, because uh, who doesn't love monkeys? Uh, monkey around with the volume beyond the uh, standard setting. But I, I, I couldn't figure out anything extra to do with, with uh, volume through QuickTime. So. Cool. Well, haven't you always wanted a monkey, John? Uh, like I said, don't we all? I, I guess, yeah. All right, Sam with another quick tip. Uh, he says a couple of these, or he says, I discovered this tip, uh, after hearing about dragging dr- drives, menu bar icons into login items to auto mount drives. If you drag the icon from the top of a window of a, of the document that you're working on in say pages, it acts the same as if you were dragging it, the file around from the finder, but without having to navigate there. I use this all the time. My example workflow is. Say I'm working on a document that I need to send by email. I command S to save it and then drag the top window bar icon to my dock and drop it onto mail. The document is attached to a new mail message from your default account. Yes, default folder helps to make this easier, but you can't beat this method for speed and efficiency. Or perhaps I've got a contract that has just opened in preview my default PDF viewer. I can drag the icon to my PDF pen in the doc so I can sign and amend the text easily. Then I just save, drag to mail, and return. If you click on this with modifier keys, it also gives you added functionality. With the alt key, it copies the file somewhere. With command or control, it flips down the file's path, showing all the parent folders. You can then select these to open in Finder windows should you need to work on another document from the parent folder quickly. Or you can check that you're working on the correct version of a document rather than one that's in your mail temporary attachment folders. These dragging workflows combined with a hot corner for uh, expose all windows that you can easily get things that you have open when you need them rather than digging in finder windows or open save dialogues. For me, this is the very essence of the Mac unparalleled functionality in a seamless and logical UI. Nice, Sam, a nice little soundbite there too, but, uh, but that's great. That's outstanding. In fact, thank you. Uh, thank you for sending that along, Sam. Good stuff. Moving on to Mike, John. Indeed. Or as I like to call him, uh, premium listener, Mike writes, uh, I recently got an email from Dropbox that informed me that a large number of files had recently been deleted from my Dropbox. I didn't mean to do it and wasn't entirely aware that they had been deleted. Dropbox informed me that they weren't really deleted yet with the following message. We noticed that you recently deleted a large number of files. Deleted files are saved for 30 days and can be restored any time during that 30-day window. That's very cool, especially since I didn't want to delete them in the first place. So thank you very much for that, Mike, and thank you for your premium support. Awesome stuff. Um, yeah, I think actually it's 30 days with free Dropbox accounts, and if you're paid, I think that 30 days is extended to basically forever with deleted stuff, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but it's something that there's, it's triggering something. There's synapses firing up there somewhere. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Do you know, John off the top of your head? 
I do not, but I'll tell you what I do know, Dave. All right. Is that some other services offer this. Uh, okay. Because I actually came across this. So if you're not aware of this, um, both Notes, I believe you have to have uh, iCloud enabled, but both Notes and uh, Photos, um, if you're, uh, again, I think if they're attached to your iCloud account, will also have a similar category of recently deleted. And I think the threshold is the same as I think um, mail makes sense. Um, iCloud mail also has a, uh, well, that's the, we've talked about before, yeah. but, but I have noticed this cause I do like the new, uh, notes, uh, or the, uh, yeah, the notes that, you know, supports things Yeah, beyond text, but they do have a recently deleted category. So, uh, I think that's a great feature because sometimes you may, oops. <laughs> yeah. Good. Still here? Did I lose you, John? No, we're here. Okay. Here. All right. Okay. Good. All right. Uh, moving on to Jeff. A, a another yet another quick tip. Uh, Jeff writes. He says after listening to episode five ninety three, you were chatting about SSD drive failure. A uh, little known thing regarding these types of drives that most are not aware of is that the firmware can get into a weird state that makes the drives appear dead. Uh, he says by unplugging the data cable from the drive, then powering up for 20 minutes, then power down and repeat one more time, that will often reset the SSD's firmware. The second time is to ensure it really did reset, then connect the data cable back and try to boot back into your setup. This has helped me out in 98% of all cases where the drives, quote unquote, died. Uh, another thing to check as well as if the manu- man- manufacturer has released updated firmware. There are a few drives that I keep CDs ready with the updated firmware as that too can cause what looks to be a dead drive to come back to life. That's handy because SSDs, as we've mentioned, when they die, they die. And maybe, maybe they just haven't died. So that's interesting. Thanks, Jeff. Good stuff. John, how's, you, how's your SSD coming along? Um, my saga... Sega? Saga. I think Saga. Saga. But no, so I've been dealing... Uh, so the guys at OCZ are, are great. Their support is awesome. You know, put in a support ticket, uh, emailed back and forth with the guy. And they have a tool, uh, which I believe is unique to them, called SSD Guru. Okay. Now, it's kind of wacky how you create it, is that you actually have to use the DD command. Now, they provide the instructions oh, on how sure. to do this. Um, but you actually have to cr- have to so DD I guess is a direct copy utility in Unix, right? And so they provide an image. You then copy it to a, or, or in my case, I copied it to a USB stick. And this is a very thorough diagnostic utility. And so, uh, huh. you know, I created the bootable drive, uh, booted their SSD Guru. I had the drive in one of my USB enclosures, and. The first time I ran it, it was like, oh, yeah, here's your drive. Here's, here's the smart parameters. Um, I see it. Um, uh, the firmware is up to date to, to, to the point of, um, of Jeff. Um, but it did indicate that. You know, it's, if it wasn't, it would have upgraded it. And the advice that the, the tech gave me, he's like, well, you know, could you do a secure erase on that drive? And I'm like, well, you know, I really... I said I'd rather not because even if it did fix the problem, in my humble opinion, there's a deeper issue. And I'm like, you know, I, I really want to give you this drive. And, yep. and and the other thing is when I booted their utility again, then it said no device detected. 
So I'm like, so it kind of mirrored the experience that I had with it is that sometimes it would be seen, sometimes it wasn't. And I'm like, and he's like, well, you know, we usually don't do that level of analysis. It could be a problem with the flash memory or the controller yeah. or something. We, we may diagnose it further, but they offered and they said, well, you know what? We can give you a different series drive oh. um, of the same capacity. And I'm like, uh, that works for me. So I have cool. that in a box. I haven't yet put it in the mini. Um, but, you know, the support's great. Um, and they do have a tool. Again, it's a really neat tool. I actually, you know, I was able to do screen snapshots of, of all the... Uh, you know, is that smart parameters is, and is their tool unique to their drives or would it work on other SSD drives? I'm pretty sure it, it, yeah, because it, it claims to be able to do some things that I think are specific to their drive. So I okay. think it does a detection. And if it doesn't look like an OCC drive, then I don't think it's going to, it's it, it just, right. well, we'll put a link in the show notes. It's available for free. I'm not, I noticed there's a, a, a DMG for, max so maybe you don't even have to use the dd command you can just well, no, that the dmg uh, they go further yeah their documentation basically says you want to take you want to use the dd command and you want to basically take this disk image and put it on a flash drive and sure then, um, sure but, but which you could do with disk utility too right or i mean uh, i t- i tried my best to do it that way but the the Okay. Their documentation suggests you use DD and Got you, it. you basically just flash it from the disk image to a, a, a stick or I guess a bootable drive. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Cool. So uh, further updates as events warrant. Sounds good. Uh, all right. Uh, another tip from show 593 from Dano. Uh, Dano says uh, regarding the whole K7 incident, of course, we talked about how we no longer have our old uh mac geek gab number and now i didn't update it in the in my agenda here but i'm pretty sure it's 224-888 geek is that right john i think that's right geek yeah what's geek 4335 yeah i'm pretty sure that's the number yeah yeah uh so that's our new number Dano says, uh, and it's because our number expired with K7 because we didn't use it in 30 days. Uh, he says uh, the same thing is true for Google Voice, although it's not quite 30 days. It's about nine months. If you don't use your Google Voice number in nine months, there is uh, it will be kind of thrown back into the pool. Uh, but he did find and send along an IFT recipe, IFTTT recipe for keeping your Google voice number active. So, uh, so we will put that in the show notes, of course. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there. So thank you so much, Dana. Good stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll go from there and put that in the show notes right now for you. Uh, and lastly on the tips, especially from five ninety three, we have listener, John, who had an interesting tip for our other listener who wanted to migrate photos from windows. He said you could download the iCloud for windows software, and then it would sync your photos into the cloud. And then you could download the originals from there. So if you had enough space in your iCloud account or your iCloud photo library, you could sync your photos from windows to iCloud and then sync them back down to your Mac. And that would preserve a lot of the metadata that, you might lose if you do it another way with albums and that sort of thing. Very smart thinking, John. I like it. Good, good stuff. 
Any thoughts on that one, John, before we move on? No, I, f- I forget about that, though, but Apple does have a suite of Windows software that does let you interact with iCloud, and we our bad, I guess, is that we typically don't talk about it because, I mean, I run Windows, you run Windows, but we typically don't dive into that yeah. uh, end of the pool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's good stuff. All right. I, uh, I Actually, you know what I want to do? I want to talk about our first set of sponsors, John. That work for you? Excellent. All right. Our first sponsor today is a new sponsor to this show, but not a new topic or product. And that is Power Photos from Fat Cat Software. Power Photos is the successor or companion, depending on how you look at it, to iPhoto Library Manager. You can use this to manage multiple photos libraries, including its own photo browser, which has searching and list view. You can copy photos back and forth between multiple photos libraries, or you can do the reverse and split up an existing library into multiple pieces. This can be really handy if you're moving things around and perhaps want to have a portable library that's a little smaller and then maybe a much larger archive library that you keep back at home. This will let you merge libraries together. This will let you eliminate duplicate photos. And if you have multiple iPhoto libraries, this will actually help you migrate them over to photos. In fact, we had a question this week from a listener that was looking to re-migrate an iPhoto library into photos again, and photos wouldn't touch it because it says it's already been migrated. Guess what? Power photos is what you need. Very, very cool stuff. You got to visit this. And here's the thing. If you go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG and then also use coupon code MGG, it saves you 20% off. But here's the thing. It doesn't just save you 20% off of Power Photos. They're sold together in a bundle because they're companion apps. They're sister apps, right? iPhoto Library Manager and Power Photos are necessary to make sure you have everything you need. And Fat Cat Software sells them together. And coupon code MGG saves you 20% off the whole thing. So this is where you got to check it out. Go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Check it out. Our thanks to Fat Cat Software and Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager for sponsoring this episode. In the same vein, our second sponsor, iMazing, is another app that you can't live without if you want to manage all of your Apple stuff. Visit iMazing.com to get iMazing 1.5, which came out this week. Huge release for them. One of the things that they've done, and they just get better and better and better with this. And it seems like it's just every couple of weeks that they have a new update. One of the things that this update brings is the ability to add, extract, or remove apps from a backup. For example, if you forgot to backup a particular app individually with iMazing, no problem. You take your existing iMazing or iTunes backup, and from there, you can extract one app's data directly from it and then restore that to any device. And it goes beyond that, right? You can, you can start to make custom backups to restore. Let's say you want to restore a backup from a week ago, but you want to keep data from an app that you just installed a couple of days ago and then also not restore some game data that'll take hours to re-download because you're done with that game. No problem. You extract the app you want to keep from your iPhone, add it to last week's backup, remove the games from last week's backup, and hit restore. 
this is pretty amazing stuff that they've been able to do this. This also totally works with encrypted backups. And they've increased the speed of that so that browsing encrypted backups is super fast. Not only does it decrypt stuff so that you can move things around, it re-encrypts stuff so that A, what you're storing is still encrypted, and B, you can manage from encrypted backups. That's not to say that iMazing doesn't do the things it's always done, which of course includes making sense of your device's music library, and they've added features to that too. They now report which track is a purchase, which is an Apple Music track, or which is a track that you obtained through other means, from like ripping or however else you might have gotten it. Really fantastic software, and you got to check this out. Go to iMazing.com. Coupon code MGG saved you 20% there. Our thanks to iMazing for sponsoring the show for so long. Thanks so much. I think it's time to go back to photos, John, because in the last episode, right before I went away, we talked about sharing iPhoto libraries, or sorry, photos libraries among multiple members of your family. And really what our listener was trying to do was to share a folder of photos libraries or photos albums, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. multiple photos albums. And I said, I would try this. Well, I did and it worked, but it didn't work. So I have a geek challenge here and it, and, yeah. and well, it, it, it shares the photos. Yeah, but it doesn't share the albums. It just like Correct. barfs all the photos into your, whatever shared album you, Correct. you drag. And I into. noticed that when we talked about, yeah. uh, iCloud photo sharing, they specifically say when you create a, a sharing entity, they say, this will let you share, Photos and videos. They don't say folders. You can, although you can drag an album into or a folder of albums into the sharing. uh, And then I'll hand it back to you. But uh, the thing is, it's it's not as structured as it's not not structured, right? So if you drag maybe by date or something, I mean, I I don't think it's total chaos. But so your advice was was. caused me to like barf all these photos to my family in a very unstructured way. It wasn't good. Awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. But I, you know, I take one for the team here. It's good. It's fine. Uh, so, the, but the geek challenge is what service or app would let us do this, right? I mean, is there something else out there that would, that would let us share, you know, all these folders of, of, uh, apps or do we just have to create manually create uh you know albums in that are shared and then you know share those out and that's that and which i guess is you know totally doable it just requires you to if you've already got them all created and you just want to lump them together it's you know it's not so easy so i'm curious if anybody knows of anything uh, we... that we talked about you know, there's a question buried in our archives that it, it was somebody saying, my son is traveling and he's got an iDevice and he'd like to share photos, blah, blah. And I, I came up with kind of a summary of everything that I knew that, that could let you share photos. But also, I, I believe in Mike's email, Dave. He said, well, I got Dropbox. Will that work? And I think Dropbox does give you yes a level of album granularity. Um, the only thing I'll toss out, Dave, is I think Flickr, assuming that they don't get shut down, right? Because <laughs> I guess there's been a concern because Flickr is under Yahoo right now. And right. there was uh, mutterings of them reducing the staff or something like that. But Flickr, I don't know. Is, built, I looked... Flickr is built for sharing photos and 
albums. Yeah, I, but I not this frequently. But not I, I. I looked at Flickr and maybe I missed this. But the, the, to restate the goal, I have mm-hmm. an an album. You know, I have a a, a group of photo albums that I want to share in a collaborative right. way, right? Not just yes. a publish way. So does Flickr let me share an album with you that you can then contribute to? That's the question, right? And I, I didn't, okay. that was not I haven't obvious tried that. in Flickr. It, it definitely, it definitely provides an interface with pretty much every, including photos. I, I've shared yeah. albums. Um, I no, I know, know, but 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 the question is, right. I can, don't know the answer to that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So okay. Google Photos does. We'll run for fun in the chat room. Says that Google Photos does, um, and uh, and so maybe that's the answer. Uh, obviously, Photos does, but you have to share individual albums, which you might just have to do in any of these. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe the question is already answered, but uh, but we'll throw it up as a geek challenge and 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 see if there's any other. Uh, any other thoughts on this? Cause it's, it's a good, you know, it's a good question. So, all right, cool. You didn't, you Thank didn't you, Mike. share any with me, by the way, Dave. No, I didn't share any. I'm, I'm very hurt. You. Yeah. I'm very uh, hurt. You know, sorry. I think you, you Instagram some things out, which I did. Yeah. I posted yeah. a couple of things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right, yeah. That's right. I'm, I'm yeah. not too hurt. That's good. That's, that's excellent. Uh, okay. Uh, you know what? Let's, let's do a run. We'll do a string of geek challenges here. Listener, John, uh, says, I've got a little problem I haven't been able to find a solution for. I need to use an iPad with a scanner attached. The scanner gets its power from the iPad, and that works fine until, of course, the iPad battery runs out. But I want to use it all day long. Do you know of a device that can recharge the iPad while keeping an external USB accessory attached? Many thanks for all the help. That's a good question. You know, my my immediate my immediate thought was sure use a USB hub, but USB hubs aren't uh, that won't work, right? Because it's not like an Ethernet hub or an Ethernet switch where everybody gets to see each other. The USB hub is this you know many to one funnel. Uh, so I, yeah, pass through power and data with USB. I don't know. USB-C will do this, right? And this actually solves that problem. And this is a great uh, foundation for a case to be made that the iPad would do well with USB-C, right? Uh, but USB, normal USB that we have on our uh, iDevices right now, I don't know. I don't know. So I throw that out there. Would you have any thoughts on that, John, before we, before we just leave it out for the masses? Don't know if I'm understanding the question. All right, let me let me restate it. That's that's totally fine. Wait, so, hey, hey, no, uh, okay, no, I'll, 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 uh, his his iPad needs to connect to a scanner, and his iPad is powering. It's a USB powered, bus powered scanner, but the iPad only has one USB port, and it's the Lightning port, and it's kind of a special USB port because in addition to being able to connect outward. And, and say, find a scanner or a microphone you can do and it can power that. That's great. But it also gets its power in through that. So the question is, how do we get power in to the iPad while still having it connected to a scanner with its one lightning port? So that's the uh, question. Okay. And there's probably... PJ's a piece of hardware that'll do that. Okay. Well, that, that would be the question is, is there Got a it. piece of hardware? PJ in the chat room is saying that there is... An iPad Thunderbolt power and accessory, but I'm not, 
Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, if you have a link for that PJ, that'd be awesome. Uh, it, uh, but we'll throw it out there as a, as a geek challenge too. So, and we might as well. And, uh, so we'll come back to that. If PJ, if PJ comes up with it before the end of this episode, we'll, we'll circle back. Otherwise we'll, uh, we'll catch up in a future episode. Uh, another geek challenge this time from listener, David, uh, let me see if I can get to it here. And if I can't, I will. Uh, yeah, here we go. David says, in a perfect world, I would have an app on my Mac like my iPhone's Google Photos ability to search for photos with Apple Photo Management. Uh, let me, the, there's a lot of words here that aren't strung together properly. So uh, essentially what he wants to do is have all of his metadata like the oh, I'm trying to think if he's got oh he says uh, what I would love to be able to do is go into Apple Photos on my Mac and say I want to search for pictures of dogs or flowers or kids sleeping or airplanes and have it work right and you can do this if you upload your photos to Google Photos or Flickr right it intelligently parses through your photos and says hey this is awesome this is a picture of a car or a picture of flowers or, you know, a picture of animal, an animal. And you can then sort by that. Right. Which is great. But he wants that metadata on his Mac so that he can do it locally. It, it doesn't need to, he's fine with a cloud service doing the work, but he wants to know how to pull that data down either from like Flickr or Google photos. Uh, uh, it's a good question. I mean, I get it. Uh, good one. Because yeah, I but, noticed this the other day, I uploaded a, a and I uh, maybe I never noticed it, but Flickr, yeah, l- like you said, I uploaded a beach photo, and all of a sudden it said beach, shoreline, yeah, water, and, and it had a beta around it because I guess it's in beta, and right. I was like, wow, that's pretty smart. It, it figured out what this is a picture of, yeah. So maybe it's like, does someone make a utility that can import that into perhaps the EXIF data or the native? You know, like I guess in photos it would be I guess keywords or tags or whatever. Okay, yep. I think yep. I get it. Hmm? Yeah. So there you go. That's the uh, there's the question. And to uh, to kind of wrap up our geek challenge, I'll circle back. Alex in the chat room found a uh, thing. It's a device. I don't know what uh, what else you'd call it, but he says. Uh, Connect a USB hub and audio in one gadget on a laptop or an iPad. And it's from Novation. And it's got some audio stuff in it, but it's also got three USB ports. So uh, this might work. I'm not convinced it will, though, because you need to go. It's got a USB-B port, right? Which is the big round one. Am I getting that right? It's not the flat USB port on the back. It's like a normal like what you would have on a hub. So I'm not sure power is going to pass back up to the iPad from this thing, but I'll put, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. We can, we can all kind of check it out together. So thanks for that, Alex. Good, uh, good stuff. We'll call it the Novation USB gadget for, uh, for lack of a better term. And with that, I think it's time to go on to some questions, John, because Bobby has an outstanding question, which tends to come up from time to time. And it's a very simple question. Bobby asked when asked about antivirus software for a Mac, what would you recommend paid or free? And you know, my, uh, my answer is 
you can use what I use, which is nothing. Uh, and I, and it's true. I still use no antivirus software on my Mac. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't antivirus software by definition is going to scan every file that you access. And if it's going to do you any good, that is, and that will slow you down. And with no real reason to be running it, my daughter's issue that I talked about last week, notwithstanding, but even with that, uh, you know, I still don't feel like we need to run any kind of virus or malware software on the Mac. It's just not as prevalent uh, as it is on the Windows side. And I prefer to have my machines running at, at top efficiency and there's very little risk. So I don't, but Tom's hardware, whom I tend to trust, uh, but, you know, obviously, buyer beware, suggests Avira, which is a free antivirus software, as the best one that they found, and Bitdefender, which is a paid piece of antivirus software, uh, as a very close second. So I will put a link to their article up. But uh, but OS X does a pretty good job with their X-Protect list and keeping that up to date. So I don't run any antivirus software. How about you, John? I do. And I'll tell you, so number one, I'll agree that Apple does a pretty good job unless they blacklist their Ethernet driver, which you may have read about. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I actually solved that. We'll, we'll come back around to it, but I solved that issue for a listener before Apple put their knowledge base article out. Yeah, we might, we're here, so let's do it. We're, we'll take the tangent. Um, Apple this week uh, updated their list of kernel extensions that should be blocked. Right. Which is part of what Apple does. It's, it's not all of it, but it's part of what Apple does to pr- keep us protected. Unfortunately, one of the things that they blocked was their own Ethernet driver. And so it was possible if you had the wrong build of this on the wrong machine to suddenly lose access to your Ethernet. And, and we did. We had a listener. I don't think we've got the question queued up for the show, but uh, but we had. You know, he he was having some issues with it. He removed the Ethernet driver and went to re-add it, and the Ethernet wouldn't show up. And so this was, um, I think the the knowledge base article came out late yesterday, which was the twenty eighth, so Saturday. Uh, this was Saturday morning that I was going through this, and the news hadn't hit yet. You know, or at least I hadn't seen it. So I thought, well. You know, it could be that hardware went bad, but that seems kind of weird. So I said, just boot into recovery mode and see if the Ethernet driver works there. If it does, then you know that it's just something about your OS X install. And if so, then just reinstall OS X. I just figured the driver got damaged. I obviously didn't know that Apple would have blocked it because, you know, this thing kind of seems like something they shouldn't do. And uh, of course, by that point in time, Apple had pushed an update that unblocked that. So when he reinstalled OS X, even though it was over the internet and over his Ethernet adapter, which was sort of funny because recovery mode didn't have those blocks um, because you're not installing anything into recovery mode, so it doesn't need them. Uh, it pulled down, you know, the latest build of OS X and installed it and everything was fine. But uh, but there's there's other ways of fixing this. We'll put a link to that knowledge base article here. But yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I put in our uh, room here the uh, Apple article though there was of course other mutterings about this but um to your question my friend as to what do i run i run two things okay so i run clam x av which is a open source cross-platform uh i would 
I don't know viruses. So the thing is, I mean, technically, Macs don't get viruses in the, in the sense that a virus is something that jumps from machine to machine and, and wreaks havoc. Right. But they do get malware. But um, to me, the risk is that uh, not that you're going to get a virus on your Mac, that you're going to have a document or program or attachment that is going to infect your Windows friends, if you have any friends that run Windows, which I, I don't blame you if you do. It's okay. Um, but no, so I run Clam. And I also run that on Windows, um, on my virtual machines, um, because you need to. I think the one thing that we pointed out, Dave, is that there are two different versions. So there's one that you can get in the App Store, but it's not active. It's passive. You have to actively run it right. in order to detect. Uh, but you know, when I've run it, I mean, it comes up with a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, email, uh, most notably, it would come up with email emails that have bogus URLs that kind of redirect you to places that you really shouldn't be going. Yeah. They try to masquerade. Um, so I run clam okay. uh, on occasion. If, if something it, it weird does, is happening, it does run in the background for you. It, it monitors everything that you're doing. Well, no, I have the version. That, so I believe the app store version is passive and then right. you have to run it. Um, I believe if you download it directly from them, then I boot and I am not running that version. Okay. So you're not like, really running antivirus software. Correct. It, it, you, you have antivirus software that you can choose to use to scan either your entire system or a folder. You know, or an attachment whatever. Yeah, if exactly. I think something's wacky. Got it. Um, the other thing that I will run on occasion, and again, I've run this on both my system uh, because I have infected myself. Like, you know, we... Uh, yeah, you know, we talked about this whole uh, movie player thing, which yep. I fell victim to that, just like your daughter. And um, but the other thing I run is malware bytes. Okay, so they have a program also that is, uh, you know, this is a free version, and I guess you know you can step it up a notch and, and do a paid version. But it will detect and remove uh, the most common malware. That kind of not, not so much. It, it just you know they infect your web pages and your templates, and you go to places that you shouldn't and stuff like that. So. Since you asked, those are the two things that I run. Okay. So Malwarebytes and Clam X A V. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, and that that's that totally makes sense. Yeah. And I think I've got I think I have Clam downstairs too on the on my Mac that I use every day. But you know, again, I don't run it actively. It just, you know, occasionally it'll uh, pop it out there. So fun stuff. Um what else we got here, John? Moving on. Uh, yeah, Michael has a good question. Uh, and I think I found an answer for it, but I would love to, um, I would love to see if anybody else has a better option. Michael writes on my Mac. If I want to remove formatting and make something pure plain text, I used BB edit and it's great. You right? You can paste something into BB edit and by nature of pasting it in, all the formatting is gone. It's just plain text. And then you can copy it and paste it out and you're good to go. Is there anything like that on iOS? And I found one thing called plain text Two, which is an app that does pretty much exactly that. You paste it in and it, it just doesn't inherit the formatting. And then you can put it back on your clipboard and, and go on your way. So we'll put a link out there to plain text Two. But again, you know, if, if you know of anything that, uh, that might work better uh, by all means, let us know. Good stuff. It's a good question because that's a sort of a pain in the neck when you go to paste something into mail on iOS and it just, you know, barfs out all this formatting or colors or whatever. It's like, Oh, come on guys. So 
Good stuff. Any thoughts on that one, John? No. No. All right. I like my text to be text, but I, I well, understand the I'm question, saying. I think. Yeah, is... same. That's the question is if you copy from a web page and it comes with all this formatting, how do you get rid of it? That's, that's the question. I guess there's no answer or there, there, there's plain text too. So awesome. Uh, all right. We will move on to John who has uh, a great little question that drives me crazy sometimes. John says, I wonder if you know of a solution to this issue. My new iPad Pro was set up as new, not restored from backup. iCloud fails to backup, or better said, my iPad fails to backup to iCloud. It starts, and then after some time, it just says the last backup could not be completed. I've tried various troubleshooting attempts, including logging out of iCloud, restarting the iPad, deleting previous backup attempts, at first, I wondered if I was short of space, so I upgraded, but that didn't help. Apple's support have been a waste of time. Various issues like this over the last year have ended in them telling me to restore from an iTunes backup, and when that doesn't help, they tell you to erase and set up as a new device. I tore my hair out this morning when after 45 minutes, I finally got a senior advisor on chat, and then Safari crashed, and the next advisor told me that due to maintenance, their system wouldn't allow them to transfer me to a senior advisor and they were unable to arrange for someone to phone me. At this moment, I have lost all faith in Apple's iOS support, at least in terms of backups. Is it just me, or are there problems at Apple that they're not acknowledging? Welcome to the club. I have experienced this, uh, I, I, and I've experienced it on my own device, as well as on devices of uh, extended family members. Thankfully, n nobody in my house has, has suffered from this that I know of. Uh, they don't always tell me when their devices don't back up and then uh, I have to yell at them about that. But uh, my, my, uh, my dad's wife has this problem too with, with her iPad, but not her iPhone. The only way that I've found to solve this is to use another device. And I believe it has to be another iOS device that's logged into that same iCloud account. And with that, you can go and really delete the old backups um, and it'll be some empty backup that's sitting out there. And really what it is, is you just need to get those backups reset to ground zero and Apple. And, and actually uh, John wrote back uh, after we had emailed a little bit and he said, yeah, I, I finally did get in touch with somebody at Apple and they said that they know that this, this is an issue and they're hoping to fix it with a new version of, you know, a new build of iOS. I wouldn't hold your breath. This, this has been going on for, you know, probably, six plus months, I would say, I don't, I'm trying to think if it started with iOS nine. I think I had it with iOS eight too. I think it's just something's wacky about the way iCloud doesn't gracefully recover from a failed backup. If certain parameters are, you know, are set and you just need to delete it. But the only way I've found to do it is from another iOS device. Cause you can't really see that backup the right way from its from itself essentially you have to see it from another device so that has worked for me to go in and delete it and then tell it to back up you know and and maybe maybe this logging in and out at that point is helpful but you've got to delete it from iCloud first so that's what i've been through have you ever been through this john kind of when we get to wally okay i think i i, I can tell you. not exactly but Kind of. Kind of. All right. Well, take us to Wally then. Let's let's do that. All right. 
So Wally writes in, <clears throat> pardon me, and Wally says, hi, love the show. And, and Wally, we love you too, in a platonic sense, of course. Um, but Wally says he has an iPhone and an iPad, both backing up to the same account. Well, that's cool. Actually, that's pretty much my setup, Dave. Is a, those are the only two devices that I have. So that's why I wanted to wait until this to, to speak to his, uh, his uh, issue. Each backup uses about 1.2 to 1.3 gigs each, leaving me plenty of room in my 5 gigs free iCloud storage. All of a sudden, my iPhone 6S running the latest version of iOS 9 says that there isn't enough room to backup. When I looked... I see that the iPhone backup storage is now over three gigs and won't back up. I deleted the backup and tried again to find the backup. It was back to 1.3 gigs. Then a few days later, it jumps back up. Is there a way to explain this? And I do believe there is, Dave. Or at least there's a way to get a better look at what's happening rather than just a, a error message saying, huh? Um, so where you want to go on your iOS devices, you want to go to settings, general, storage, and iCloud usage. Then you will see two headings. Storage, of course, being the storage on your device. And iCloud, if you have iCloud enabled, which I believe everybody does or should, uh, or maybe not. <laughs> and then if you say manage storage, so that's the first level of analysis that you can do. And what this, gonna, what this is going to show you, Dave, is all of the things that are taking up space in your iCloud account. So, it's, so in my case, Dave, it shows me three things. It shows me backups, and it shows me two of them. One is my iPhone, and it shows 2.9 gigs, and then it shows my iPad, 334 megabytes. Now, you may be asking yourself, John, why is 2.9 gigs on your phone and your iPad has nothing? Well, that's because... I got a lot of photo. I, I, I do almost all of my iPhone photography on my iPhone and on my iPad. So that explains that, and I'll explain how you can tell that later. But then there are two other categories, Dave. One is documents and data, and the only thing that I see here, Dave, is notes. So I'm using notes, and it, it syncs to iCloud. And then it shows mail, and I'm taking a rather hefty 640.2 megabytes for my iCloud mail. And I've actually paired that back. So this is one place you can look to kind of see who is taking the most space. Uh, and then on the bottom of the screen, what you should see is a little bar. And in my case, it says 1.2 gigabytes of 5.0 on iCloud because I'm a cheapskate and I got the free account. And if you add up all of the things that I have here and you subtract them from 5 gigs, you should come up with about 1.2. But then to look further, and this is the reason I wanted to dig into this, Dave. So... I think it's his device. There's something on his device. And I ran into this. So I'm going to click on my iPhone. And then you're going to get details about what exactly your device is backing up. And, and just to be clear, you're clicking on the one that says this iPhone. Because if you have... Or John F well, John's iPhone success, yes. Well, no. Because it, it, there will be, uh, in the backups list, there will be all of your I'm sorry, iOS you're right. Devices. This iPhone. Yes, it says John's iPhone, this iPhone. Correct. Yeah, you want to yeah, make sure you choose headings. yeah this iPhone or this iPad so that you're... Because right. you, you get more granular control on the device itself as opposed to if you look at the backups from another device. Oh, so, you're right. Because yeah. when I look on iPad, it just shows me, well, here's the size. Here's so, the yeah, size. So and and also, the important thing from the last question the ability to delete it, which is helpful, uh, but right. you don't get the granular control that you will when you go into the one that says this okay. iPhone or this iPad. That's actually a good point. So he may want to 
drill down on both. I, yep. I suspect because it sounds like the iPhone is taking up the most space, that's going to be the device that you want to drill down on. So I click on John's iPhone success, this iPhone. I click on that. And then it's going to say, all right, well, here's how much your latest, here's your latest backup. Here is the size of it. And then here are all the things that I'm backing up. Now, this is actually kind of useful because you can select, um, if you're running it on the device that is backing up to iCloud, you can select which entities or which items yeah. are backed up or apps. Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 I'm being kind of vague here because, for example, my top one, Dave, now you're saying, why is my backup so big? It's because I have 2.4 gigabytes in my photo library because I have yep. all of my photos that I've ever, ever taken on my iPhone. And these are all sorted by the largest uh, size right. first. So you get to see the ones that are eating up your backup space. Right. Just handy. So I see that, 2.4 gigs, and then everything else pales in comparison. I see Snap, Snapseed, Twitter, uh, some other apps, and they're all in the order of tens of megabytes. So it's clearly my photos is taking up the bulk of the space. Now, you could also say show all apps. Right. You can, you can selectively enable or disable which ones are being backed up. Now, the only thing I think may be happening, or at least what happened in my case, is I accidentally enabled iCloud Photo Library, and all of a sudden my photos library ballooned on this machine, and then all of a sudden I started getting warnings saying, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't have enough space. Once yeah, I turn that, that off... That can be misleading, because when you come in here to manage your backups, it'll show zero for your photos, because they're being backed up through I, iCloud Photo Library, and so they won't appear as taking a backup space because it's, it's one library as opposed to multiple uh, devices, individual libraries. What was happening in my case is it was uh, photo library was growing beyond my, my free account. Yeah. You know, for a buck a month, you can, you can bounce that up to 50 gigs, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah I know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth still. it. If you've got a couple of devices, I, I bounced mine up to 50 gigs. And, I may, uh, yeah, it's, but right know. now I'm still within the, uh, and on occasion I will retire things from the phone and put them on, on a computer. Um, I have a tip for everybody here. Um, but and, I, I just, uh, to, to close out his issue, I think those are the tools that are going to tell you what is growing and what is exceeding your space. The only other place I could think of looking, Dave, is on a Mac. Oh, no, it's the same data I talked about before. But I mean, you could also go on your Mac and go to System Preferences, iCloud, and it will also show you, very similar to the screen that I talked about before, it'll show you the breakdown of what is taking up your iCloud space. But, but beyond that, uh, yeah. I mean, something is growing and exceeding your five gigs. The, the, uh, the thing, uh, I, I think we've identified all the places you can look to find out which one of those it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And sometimes you just need to delete the backup. You know, you might have data in a, in a, in your iCloud backup that is not assigned to an app anymore. And it's sort of this zombie data and you can, you can, you know, you might have to just delete the backup and start a fresh one in order to, to, you know, reduce the size of your backup down once you've kind of gotten everything else straightened out. I've had to do that. And it makes a huge difference. Obviously, you got to sort of think about what it is you're deleting, but it can be helpful. 
I mean, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. If you look in iCloud on your Mac, I mean, it shows you iCloud Drive, it shows you photos, and then it shows you mail, contacts, calendars, reminders, Safari. I, I suppose it's possible that one of those others, I mean, in my case, though, explicitly showed mail, and it said, yeah, it's taken up 600 gigs, which is, you know, a, a, a sizable amount. But it didn't show anything for contacts or calendars or reminders because I think they're just inconsequential. They take up so little space, they don't even report it, and it's right. not reported anywhere. Right. But they are taking up space, right? They are taking up space. Yes, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's possible one of those is 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 exploding for, for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, but back to you. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I just wanted to. No, no, close it's this good out. stuff. Yeah, man. That there, there are places you can look and you know keep an eye on what is growing. Right. Right. No, it's you. You need to absolutely. So here's the thing: uh, if you want to expand your iCloud storage, as I mentioned, you know, fifty gigs a year 50 gigs is 99 cents a month so that's a good deal from five to 50 really from so five twelve dollars dave you know i think less than twelve dollars sh- Eleven eighty-eight a year is what that's going to cost Eleven eighty-eight. you, you yeah. know i think i could probably scrape that together that's the thing right it's just it's easy <laughs> but here's here's i'm going to make it better for you john because and how and, could it possibly be better because it's going to get 20 percent cheaper um and, and here's the way I do this. Everything I buy in iTunes is 20% cheaper because I always buy iTunes gift cards when they go on sale and I buy a hundred dollar gift card. Sometimes I buy two of them uh, because I have a lot of things that I pay for with iTunes. And I'll talk about that in a minute. If, if you follow iTunes card deals uh, on Twitter and we'll put a link in the show notes. In fact, it's already there. Uh, They'll tell you when there's deals. A lot of times, most of the time, the deals are through PayPal and you pay 80 bucks for a hundred dollar card. So there you go, right? You get hundred dollars worth of credit and you spent 80 bucks on it. Obviously don't do this if you're not buying things through iTunes, because then you're just piling up money that you're not going to spend. However, if you have Apple music, you can pay for that with iTunes. In fact, you have to, you just save 20% there. So your iCloud storage, you save 20%. Apple music, you save 20%. Hulu, you save 20%. Netflix, you save 20%. HBO, you save 20%. Anything that you can bill to your Apple ID, you can save 20%. So there you go. We like saving money. So I just figured I'd mention that. It's, you know, it's a, it's a good deal if you can manage it intelligently and don't mound up too much money because then, you know, if you're not spending it, then you just lost, but you know, it's good. And of course you get your apps and all of that other stuff. Uh, at twenty percent off as well, so you know I may put the hammer down, Dave. Because last I looked, I think I have shy of I think I have about twenty dollars. Yeah, my, uh, in your which I'll call balance. my iTunes. Yeah, uh, or yeah, my my Apple ID account. I yeah. guess I'll, I'll call it because it can be used for iTunes or apps or or whatever, right? Yep. Yeah, anything, anything you can bill. That's right. All right. Uh, you know what I want to do? I want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about what to do with that money that you're going to save. So I want to talk about our second group of sponsors, if that works for you. Excellent. All right. Our sponsor, Betterment, at B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T dot com slash M-G-G is an online automated investing service managing billions of dollars for people just like you. And those people had to get started at some point just like you do. Have you ever asked the question, how should I manage my money? That's the question that Betterment answers. And they do it 
online at your speed when you want. And you can do it all confidentially. Of course you can do it all confidentially because you're doing it on your computer. You're all set. But they do have humans there seven days a week if you want to talk to somebody. But that's your call. And you can call them and talk to them. But you don't have to. You can do this all online and it starts by visiting Betterment.com slash MGG and just answering a few simple questions about what it is you want to do. And then they start to advise you. And then they take that advice and help you get it done. It's time to get started with investing. It's never too late. They're not here to judge you on what you're already doing or what you haven't done or any of that. They're just here to help. They're advisors. And it's all done on your computer. They were the first. They're the largest. So many people use them. You've got to check this out. Betterment.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Betterment for sponsoring this episode. The next thing you need to do is visit our sponsor, Squarespace. at squarespace.com slash MGG. If you have a passion that you obsess over, if it keeps you up at night, if you live for this, you should show it off. Squarespace has easy-to-use tools and templates that help you capture every detail of what drives you. It's so easy to do. This all happens inside your web browser. Sites look professionally designed, and you don't have to have any skill in designing websites because they design them for you. They start you with all these templates that they've spent months creating. These templates work on all browsers. They resize perfectly. You can put your own images in. You put your own text in. But you don't have to put your own images in. Their templates have some great images right there. So you've got to check this out. Go to squarespace.com slash MGG. And it's so easy to start. The first thing you do, it's so intuitive that you don't even give them your name first. You start just by clicking on what template moves you. Then when it's time... Use coupon code MGG, you save 10%. If you sign up for a whole year, and you're going to do that, why would you want to move your website around? Sign up for a whole year, you get a free domain. That makes it easy. But you just start by going to squarespace.com slash MGG. You get a free trial for 14 days. And when you decide to sign up again, use coupon code MGG to get 10% off your first purchase. Remember, Squarespace is there to make it easy for you to have your passion out there for others to see and interactive. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG coupon code MGG. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. And now I think we might have one more question, John, about uh, iCloud and that Question is asked by Ed. Um, Ed asks, I recently increased my iCloud storage to 50 gigs. I thought of using it to back up my working folder, which is approximately three gigs. I dragged the working folder to the iCloud folder and it looked like it worked. When I looked on my iCloud drive app on my phone, only the folders were there. I opened one of the files on my Mac in the copied folder in, in the iCloud drive. Uh, after that, the file showed up on my phone where it should be, but only that one. Is there a way to get all of my files to show up in the iCloud Drive app on my phone without having to open each one on the Mac? Are the files actually in the cloud and backed up? What gives? So 
I took one for the team on this and I experimented, John. I dragged a folder into iCloud Drive on my Mac and I started to experience the same thing as Ed, that the iCloud Drive app on my iPhone didn't quite update all that quickly. So I went to iCloud.com because you can see your iCloud Drive there. In fact, you can actually put things in it from there. Just in Safari on my Mac, I went there and everything was there. So I think it's the way it's syncing to the phone uh, that's not happening immediately. Indeed, as I started mucking about with things, they updated on my phone, Uh, but they didn't come right away. I needed to do something. In fact, the one thing that I did was I added a new folder to, to a new subfolder to that folder on my iCloud drive on my phone. And then suddenly things started to appear. So I think it's one of these things where it will sync eventually, but it's a little slow. Have you used iCloud? Well, you don't have a whole ton of storage, so you're probably not Um, experimenting with this or or maybe you are. Well, no, I've I've dabbled with and I've put things there. I I don't think I necessarily looked at the iOS uh, uh, link, but I can understand because I've seen this with other cloud services because I run clients for other cloud services on, uh, you know, big costs on OneDrive, um, things like that. And the thing is, it'd be nice if they designed it so that what you see is reality, but sometimes it takes them a little while to catch up or they may push what you should see ahead of what you actually see. If you, if you know what I'm saying. Yep. Um, so, so I think it's more UI, UX, kind of, you know, user interface, user experience, um, hokiness, rather than them doing something. Well, you could say they're doing something wrong as far as the user experience. Is that they, they shouldn't show you something until it's available. But it sounds like they're, they're trying to give you the impression that, yeah, okay, I realize you're copying this picture. You, you can't quite see it yet. Or you, I know you're copying this folder, but I'm not going to show you the contents yet because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of busy, right? Right. <laughs> So you can say I'm kind of doing a Hail Mary and saying, you know, it's weird. I'm trying to explain it in a sense that, I I mean, you know, I I get the same thing, you know, I mean, Dave, so I fire up Evernote and uh, on one machine, I know on this machine, you know, so so I look at the agenda first on my MacBook Pro and then again on my mini, uh, but, but I I know I'm not going to see the same thing immediately, but they give me a little spinny thing showing me, okay, I'm working on it. You're You're going to see what's in the cloud eventually. Just, just hold on. Yeah. You just don't get that with the iCloud drive app. I, you know, the iCloud drive app is new, right? Relatively speaking, I guess. All right. So they may have to tweak the user experience and that what they're showing you is, is, so I just added a, a bit from reality. Right? I just added a folder of audio files from from my Mac here. For uh, for what it's worth, as a very very quick aside, I've been doing okay. a lot of recording with Logic here in uh, in my my studio because we're recording a bunch of fling songs. So send in your Logic questions, folks. I will. Uh, I, I would love to add that to what we do here. So I just figured I'd throw that out there. Uh, with that, I added the folder and it appeared on my phone. Immediately. In fact, I it, I saw it appear because I had the app open. But right now, it's showing me, no, things are just appearing. They're showing up. And I just saw three more files. Uh, you know, there's there's seven files in this folder. And uh, as I'm talking here, I watched them all appear. So there is, it is kind of laggy. Um, 
I, it certainly took a lot longer yesterday when I was prepping this question, but you know, these things should show up without you having to do anything, but sometimes touching it helps. And that's where you go into anything on your iCloud drive and just choose select. And it, I know it's weird, but when you hit select in the upper right, now you have the option of creating a new folder and, and doing that, touching things from the iPhone in a, you know, in a, in a, I call it a destructive way, but really it's just a change. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're making a change to it. Right. And by adding this folder that causes this, that that's going to force the syncing to happen uh, more, uh, more quickly. At least that's what it is for me. So yeah, crazy stuff. All right. Uh, there it is. Applications, iCloud drive. I got to admit, I haven't run this for a while. Oh so. Yeah. Yeah, I forget it's there too. Well, you yeah, know, yeah. actually, I'm running it. So I, I did a search. I'm running it. And actually, I know there are things in mine. But right now, it's saying zero items. <laughs> right, right. And it's saying 1.16 gigabytes available, which is true. Well, the other app I, I just looked in. So you're not going to see. Okay, so the, the, that, that I'm glad you brought that up, actually. Um, yeah. In iCloud Drive, in the app, you're only going to see things that your phone considers documents so you're not going to see your backups you're not going to see your mail you're not going to see your photos here those are accessible through other apps what you are going to see here are any apps that have saved things that they mark as documents so keynote numbers pages i have pdf pen pro in here i have pixel mater in here pixel mater in here preview text edit right those are the things i see you're going to see different things and you may see nothing if you haven't saved any documents to iCloud, the other thing that you will see here are any folders or documents that you've just created that, you know, are like you've done from the finder or you've done right here, or you can, you know, you can just loosely save things to iCloud drive now. Oh, right. Okay. So that's right, so right why now, you're seeing it as, as empty in there. Right, so folks yeah. live, this is exciting. At least I think it is. So I have iCloud drive on my MacBook pro. Yeah. So I just pasted, a uh, small PNG file, 56 kilobytes. So one, what I see right now on my iCloud Drive on my Mac, Dave, is a text edit folder, a preview folder, and an automator folder, okay. which is syncing those appropriate apps. Those I do not see on the iCloud Drive app on my iPhone. I then pasted a graphic, a PNG graphic, into iCloud Drive from my Mac. Yeah, I would say it took about 10 seconds before I saw it appear on my iPhone. Okay, yeah. Which, so should, those, those which folders, I think is reasonable for any cloud-based drive service. Sure. It's not going to show it to me until it's convinced that it's done uploading. And, you know, 50K is, yeah, you know, it, takes it, a little it took, yeah, it took, and it had to update, you know, indices and, and stuff like that. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to show it to you. Yesterday it was taking, you know, it took 15, 20 minutes for this to happen. So that may happen for you. I, one thing I'm curious about, um, as I'm messing with my phone here, uh, is... It, you say you have a text edit folder on your Mac. Is there anything in it? You know, I'm pretty sure. So I see a text edit folder, a preview folder, and an automator folder, and there is nothing in any of those folders. I think they're leftovers from... So that's why they're not syncing to your to your iPhone. That's why they're not showing up on your iPhone. You it's weird that they show them in the iCloud drive on my Mac. I mean, no, that you may have had things there at one time. Text edit... Uh, you know, can save things to iCloud Drive as can all of the Apple apps pages right. and you okay. know all that. I guess so at that, one point I did and makes sense. And yeah. I may have deleted them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
but the picture did show up and when I clicked on it, 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 you know, dutifully displayed the PNG file, uh, as if, uh, I was looking at it on my Mac. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I guess what we're saying is the delay is to be expected a, a reasonable delay. Now I, I copied one file Now you said, you know, if, I mean, if you're copying, you know, a folder yeah. or a directory, then yeah, I mean, you know, the, and internet speed is another part of it. I mean, your internet could stink. Yep. <laughs> or Apple's connection could stink. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. The, the cloud could be, uh, uh, you know, always a good opportunity to talk about Apple's, um, you know, service status page, right? Right. Apple. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Apple maintains a, a status page that'll tell you what's going on with iCloud. But again, yesterday, every, everything was fine. But it, it took... If I left it alone, it took 20 minutes for things to appear. But as soon as I put a folder in from my iPhone, it f- kind of forced that sync to uh, to happen. So I'll put that in our room here. Cool. Although people have seen it before, but yeah, the thing is allegedly they sometimes... I found sometimes they don't report outages, but if they're widespread enough, they, they will. Yeah. You know. Yep. All right, let's move on to James because James, I think, has... Uh, has ghosts in the eye machine here. Uh, <laughs> Another, uh, oh no, that, that, that's not, no, that's a police album. I'm sorry. Right? Uh, without the eye. That's right. Yes, exactly. Ghosts in the machine. That's yes. right. Okay. Uh, he says, I was at a youth basketball game on Sunday. And while there, a strange thing happened to my iPhone six. I unlocked my iPhone. I have a six character password to check my email while attempting to open an email. Suddenly random apps started opening. Not knowing what was happening, I locked my phone. I waited a few minutes, unlocked the phone, and within seconds, random apps started opening again. I had previously checked for Wi-Fi connections, and since none had been displayed, I shut off my cellular connection. I waited a few minutes, turned cellular back on, and in less than a minute, random apps started opening again. At this point, I did a reset of my iPhone. I held down the home button and the on-off buttons until shutdown. When the phone restarted, I unlocked the iPhone and did nothing for a few minutes. Suddenly again, random apps started opening and eventually there was an attempt to enter a Wi-Fi password for some connection. I erased this password before the entry could be completed. At this point, I shut off Wi-Fi, did nothing for five to 10 minutes, and there was no repeat of this activity. Other than send a few text messages and get some directions, I did nothing on my phone until I returned home. Once home, I immediately changed the phone's lock password. I had not backed the phone up for about two weeks, and when I connected to iTunes, I received a message that the phone needed to be authorized. I figured out how to do this and was able to connect the phone to iTunes. Before doing a backup, I copied the backup from two weeks ago to a different disk for safekeeping. I ran a backup, but it seemed to complete quicker than I expected it to. Since I didn't know how many apps had changed since the last backup, I couldn't be sure how long the backup should take. I used the phone for the rest of the night without any further issues. This morning, when I unlocked the phone, I received a pop-up message stating that the phone had not been backed up in two weeks. Having done a backup the previous night, I'm now thinking I probably need to do a nuke and pave of the phone. Do you agree? And if you agree, can you give me some guidance about what exactly a nuke and pave entails? So this is strange. Uh, I think that goes without saying. Uh, I, I I'm have, really, I'm really upset by the scenario that was described because other than something wacky happening with the screen uh, 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 saying that there's, you know, random things kind of happening that, that really upsets me. I don't even know that you could remote. I mean, we've, you know, we've talked about, we've lamented the fact that it's not possible to remote control an iPhone. And and there are times when that would actually be quite helpful. 
Right. Well, we found some limited cases, but yeah, for somebody to gain full control remotely of your iPhone is is unprecedented. As far as I know, yeah, yeah, I, I I would almost say that it's a hardware problem that somehow something was either it was a bad connection from your screen or or something that made it think that somebody was pressing on random places on the screen and it appeared that you were launching. Well, no, you were launching. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't even think mobile device manager can do this, right? Mobile device manager is what, um, things like, I mean, you can do it yourself with bushel, um, and you can do it with Apple's tools as, as well, uh, where you can install apps on, on iPhones and, and it's built for corporations to manage, you know, iPhones, a, a group of iPhones belonging to staff and all of that. And you can set up email. It's actually really, really handy. But I've never seen it able to. It can't. I mean, launch apps. The and only thing. Yeah. The only thing that occurred to me, Dave, that could possibly do this would be that if someone unknow, unbeknownst to you hacked into your phone and created a workflow script <laughs> that was intended to mess with your mind, right? Yeah, but even I, I mean, I use workflow a lot on my I mean, iPhone. Couldn't you, in theory, write a, a workflow script that would randomly launch different apps and like kind of goof with people? I mean, I don't know why you'd want to do that. The thing about it, trying to enter a Wi-Fi password, though, that's, oh, well, that, the, yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing where I, I'm more with you that it was, uh, you know, something about the UI. I mean, I mean anything's possible, right? It, you, you know, to, to say that. It's impossible to remote control an iPhone is only true when I'm talking about it's impossible for you and I to do that. You know, Apple has built ways to remote control iPhones, you know, for internal use. Uh, I'm I'm sure. But I I mean, that's never made it out into the wild. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a I don't have an answer on this, Uh, but I, I I feel like a nuke and pave is a good idea. And when it comes to an iPhone. Nuke and Pave is essentially a restore, right? So you plug it into iTunes and you tell it to restore that device and it's going to wipe out everything on it. It's going to tell you it's going to wipe out everything on it. And that's what you're going to do is, is wipe out everything. And then you can choose to restore from like your two week old backup is killer, right? That's great to have that around because now you know that you're not just restoring, you know, whatever else was, was going on. But I, I think I think it was something to do with the digitizer on it that was just okay. launching right. things. You know, it's got to be a hard. I mean, what else could it be? I'm with know. you, and, and you know, we have gotten other questions. There are, if you're in in an environment that has unusual environmental characteristics, whether it's too dry or too moist, yep. or or your fingers. That's another thing, actually. In Touch ID, they have an article that actually says this. They're like, you know what, Touch ID may not work. If like you haven't indicated this, Dave, I guess, you know, you use your hands uh, on a regular basis, you know, to bang on the drum all day. Yes, right? I do. Because you don't want to work. You I don't want to work. on the drum all day. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> but um, your fingerprints, uh, understandably, may change over time because you're constantly handling uh, drumsticks, right? Yeah, I find. It, Didn't it, you say as much that, that you I, would find your touch or, or you speculated that your touch ID? No, I know interactions, that it. It, okay. it well, it changed, but not not in a permanent way. But I can't use Touch ID while I'm on stage because of sweat. When my hands get wet, oh yeah, well I find that too. When I yeah I'm, yeah when my fingers are wet or, or it's humid, yeah, it won't work because your yeah. capacitance or the pattern is just too far off, and it's like nope, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
So, but yeah, yeah, I know. I think it's the, the digitizer on it just got into a wonky state. Um, the only thing I'll offer Dave is that I would have loved to have seen as I was hearing this description here, and I guess he was not in the environment where he could do this, but as you may or may not know, but if you don't know this, if you are running QuickTime and you have an iOS device connected via a hardware cable, now sadly right. you can't do this, you can record what's happening on your iOS device. I would have loved to have seen a video of this. Mm. Of course, that time has passed, but if it happens again, dude, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. want to see the video. Yeah. You know, but you're right. He was in a gymnasium at a, at a basketball game. So, you know, the, 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 they, those can get, like you said, I mean, they can be dry or, or humid. So, and, and often quite warm. So who knows? Yeah. Could be anything. Do you have a screen shield on that phone? Maybe something with that got, you know, a little, I don't know, a little wonky. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Martin has a, uh, Martin, I, I love things like this. So Martin writes, uh, I have a late 2013 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro together with an Apple Bluetooth keyboard and Magic Trackpad. Back when I had Mavericks installed on my Mac, this setup worked just fine. No interference between Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Then when Yosemite came out, I noticed that when the, Bluetooth, when the keyboard, Bluetooth, and mouse were connected, Wi-Fi speeds would reduce to less than half. I decided at the time to just go buy a Thunderbolt to gigabit Ethernet adapter and use my Mac with a hardwired connection instead. This, of course, worked without a problem. Up until now, I haven't given this issue much thought, but decided to see if things had been fixed with El Capitan. So I went ahead and removed the Ethernet cable and was disappointed to note that I still had the same problems when Bluetooth was connected with Wi-Fi. I looked at the Apple community, Apple support communities and noticed that numerous other people have had the same issue with no proposed solutions. Others suggest using 5 gigahertz instead of 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. I have a Netgear 802.11n wireless router, but the 5 gigahertz channel doesn't reach the room where I use the Mac. Should I buy a newer, more highly specified router and hope that I will be able to use 5 gigahertz or just otherwise accept that Apple aren't going to fix this? I know that 2.4 gigahertz devices can interfere with each other, although in this case, all of the devices in question are made by Apple. Any thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I think the issue, well, here's what I know. When you have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth active, what's supposed to happen is your Mac is going to take one of the Wi-Fi antennas and dedicate it to Bluetooth. That's what's happened in the past. And it usually, it's supposed to take the one that gets the weakest Wi-Fi signal. So it prioritizes Wi-Fi, figures all that out, and then says, okay, take that antenna and, and dedicate it to Bluetooth. Why you didn't see this with Mavericks is an interesting question. Um, and maybe they were doing something different with Mavericks. Maybe the driver changed. It's the first I've heard of it, but obviously, you know, you found a lot of other people talking about it. Uh, it's not the first that time that it's happened. Uh, five gigahertz, probably would fix this. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like what's happening is, you know, you've got a multi-stream Netgear router. Your Mac is a multi-stream device, but one of the streams is being dedicated or is being removed so that Bluetooth can run. Uh, I don't have, I don't have an answer there. Uh, 
but it seems odd to me that this wouldn't have just been solved, but I, maybe it's not, maybe there's no solution. I guess, I guess the odd part to me is that you didn't have issues before Yosemite. I, I hmm. mean, I, right. I mean, the, the, this is how this works. Well, but what you say is interesting because no, I, I thought, because yeah, so both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi operate on 2.4. Yeah. And is the potential there for either interference or sharing, I guess is, is, you know, what I'm scratching my head over is that, you know, if Bluetooth is monopolizing one of the antennas or is there a exclusive Bluetooth antenna? I don't know. I'd have to look at my machine, actually the specs to figure out what that's Though Actually, you know, I got to admit, I don't use Bluetooth hardly at all on any of my machines. Dave. Mm. Well, I use it passively for handoff and stuff like that, but I don't use it for keyboards or mice or anything. Okay. So I guess I'm not a good person to talk to about this. So yeah. Never mind. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, you know, they definitely shared Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. I'm 99% certain are managed by the same chip, uh, in MacBooks, And I, yeah, I, I mean, I, and, and from what, well, yeah, I think it's a Broadcom, I think Broadcom yeah. for the most part makes the chips that handle all of that. But I, I guess my, my head scratcher is the antenna is that, is there a dedicated Bluetooth antenna? And I don't, I I don't think so. There is okay. no now from what Apple has told me in the past. And it's it, admittedly, it's been a couple of years since I've had this conversation with anyone, you know, that would truly know, but certainly a couple of years ago when I had this conversation, uh, it was, Oh yeah. You know, Bluetooth uses one of the Wi-Fi antennas. So I, I'm assuming they're still doing that, or at least they are on your 2013 Mac. And so, yeah, you don't get, we don't get the multiple streams. It's just odd that we don't hear more about this. Maybe, maybe people don't pay attention. Uh, but that what? I'd be curious, John, <laughs> if you've got a, well, I mean, if you've got a, 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 you know, a Bluetooth mouse or something, just anything Bluetooth, you know, pair it up with it, with your Mac and do some speed tests with it, with Bluetooth on and Bluetooth off with your, with your uh, laptop, you know, some like local speed tests, not over the internet. Like I said, I, I really honestly don't, you know, I, I got no, the, but I'm saying just, I mean, you've got to have a Bluetooth speaker or something around there that you can uh, test no, with. No, no. And, uh, I'd be curious. You do. Come on. You got all I can the test it too. Yeah. 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 No, I have a, a much, uh, yeah, but you've got a MacBook smaller. pro. I've got, I've got a MacBook air. Right. And I think your MacBook Pro is a three stream device. If I'm not sure mistaken. it's a MIMO three. Yeah. Right. Last I was in it, I, I do believe I saw three antenna connectors. Yeah. yeah and mine's a two by two. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. But you got the speakers. You got the, like the little JBLs you got, right? The yeah. little ones you love taking on vacation. Those yeah. are Bluetooth speakers, right? Absolutely. I don't have any of those. I got to, I got to get some of those, yo. Yeah. I'm sure you got something to test with. I'd just be curious. If yeah, the MacBook I'll, dig Pro, through, I'll dig through the goodie box. If the MacBook yeah. Pro is built that way. Because yours is, well, yours is a year younger than his. So, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting stuff. Uh, one last thing I think we can do, Mark. Because if we do Dwayne, it'll take forever. And we'll say strange or, things. Yeah. You want to do Annie? No. no, let's do Annie. That's fine. Uh, well, we, we could do Annie. Okay. All right. All right. So Annie it is. Uh, oh, no, I got to get to Annie here, which is fine. Annie writes, I would like to use my old hard drive backup with my new computer. I would like to keep all of the backup data from my old computer and continue to use the hard drive with the new computer to back it up. 
Can you tell me how to transfer this over to my MacBook Pro? So I'm assuming here, and I, and I think we're correct, that we're using, we're talking about Time Machine. Uh, if you used Migration Assistant to transfer the data from your old computer to your new computer, then Time Machine, in most cases, when you point the backup at it, will offer to inherit that backup and kind of keep moving along the path. But if you didn't use Migration Assistant, then there really is no way to resume using the same backup. Um, you could partition the drive. I'm trying to think. Yeah, well, I mean, you could point Time Machine at the drive and it would just start making a new backup out there. But that might or might not be what you want. It, it is worth pointing out that, um, and this isn't what you want to hear, but it, it, it's worth pointing it out. Maintaining a time machine backup for a long period of time for years and years is not something I would recommend relying on. It may work for you. It certainly has a better chance of working if it's a direct attached drive than if it's say a network attached drive, but it's not the most reliable thing. And when it gets into trouble, it can try to fix it and time machine will, but it doesn't take much for it to just say, nope, we got to punt and start a new backup. So I get that there's, you know, that there's that whole history thing and, and being able to go back in time is valuable. Um, but think about how often you actually use that and how, and truly how valuable that is to do to you. You might be better off just, you know, punting on that and, nuke and paving that backup. That's what I do with my time machine backups. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. No, and I'll pick it up because I, we had to go back and forth because I, I wanted to clarify exactly what Annie was doing. So it sounds like Annie's sole backup, as I think you observed as well, Dave, was time machine backup. And I'm with you in that I would not use time machine as my sole backup. Method. Right. Right. I would strongly advise against that. I, I would not, say that you shouldn't use it, but I would say it should not be your only way to back up your machine. Now, to the issue of I'd like to access my old data on my time machine backup on a new machine, one of two things has to happen. You touched on one of them, Dave. You have to use... The thing is, there has to be... If you have a new hard drive and a new computer, um, there has to be something on that drive that gives time machine a hint that it has been used before. One way to do that, of course, is to use Migration Assistant because that brings over, and I believe specifically, Dave, what you want to do, so, so Migration Assistant will give you a level of granularity, granularity. It'll be like, okay, do you want to copy your applications? And I would say you could probably say no, but then it's like, do you want to copy, and I believe the important part here is, do you want to copy your user account from your old time machine backup? And I think... Either that or the other level of granularity it offers is system and network settings. I'm pretty sure what you want to copy, if you're going to use Migration Assistant so that Time Machine will recognize the fact, or your old Time Machine drive will recognize the fact that it should continue to be used, or that they call it a, a I believe that their term is migration. They're like, hey, would you like to migrate this, um, you know, this old drive to the, the, the new computer? You want me to keep using this drive that I, I've used before? Because I kind of recognize, I, I kind of, I've seen you before. Would you like me to keep using you? And Time Machine will do that, but it needs a hint. Yeah. One way to do that is Migration Assistant. The other, 
like I do, Dave, or what I've been doing as of late with the failed hard drive is to do a carbon copy clone or a full backup. I, I think I understand Annie's desire. I think what her intent was is I would like to start fresh with a new machine and manually copy my data over. And it sounds like that's what she did. The only downside, if you manually copy stuff over is you're going to lose this context the time machine and other things need in order to continue doing what they used to do or well, recognize think, yeah, the fact. I mean, let's think about it, right? If, if you, your time machine backup is really just a collection of the files and folders and applications and all of that stuff that you had uh, for that you have on your hard drive. So if you say, I want this new computer to back up to that, the folder structure is all different. It, you know, there's nothing that's even remotely close to what you're doing here. Uh, it might, you know, like you said, where's the context? You can, though, you can try. Now, I would make a backup of your backup before you start messing with this. But you can use, there is a terminal command called tmutil, and it has a, an option called inherit backup. And you kind of, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes so we're not talking through it here in the show. And you can follow along with uh, with this article that we'll put in there, but it will oh. let you kind of force that process that usually happens automatically after migration assistance. So if you want to try it, you can. It still might not work, but uh, you know, if if you want to try a hail mary with it, hmm, no problem. You know, off you go. So, yeah, I, but I wouldn't. Um, it, it it's not it's not built to do what you want to do. Just like you wouldn't clone, uh, you know, you wouldn't use carbon copy cloner to copy a, to clone your existing drive, you know, your new drive to a clone of your old one, and it would that would actually work, but it would erase everything, and it, well, it would put it in its um, safety net, but that's you know, it's it's just it's too different, so that's just how it works. That is the way it works, Dave. And you know what? I got an update. Dave, I've grown. Okay. During this show, I upgraded myself. I I, I dropped the coin. I now have 50 gigs. I, oh, I dropped. sweet. And I actually think I did it. So I told you I had a balance. It was under $20, yeah. which I think I got from discounted, as you suggested. Yeah. You should never, if you can avoid it, pay full price for anything, including iTunes gift cards. That's right. And so I had a balance. So yeah, so uh, uh, I have enough of balance to uh, maintain the luxurious 50 gig lifestyle. There you I go. I have to do it, man. So it's a beautiful thing. It was easy. Apple yeah. makes it real easy to spend money. That's right. <laughs> I clicked on the button. That was it. I didn't have to enter a credit card. Well, I had it on a file, but no. Right. I did. Well, they, they saw I had a balance. And they're no like, yep, card. we're going to take your money. Thank That's you. Right. Yep. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address that you can use to email us if you like and that's a beautiful thing to do so we'd love to hear yeah Dave it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com my apologies feedback at MacGeekGab.com unless you're a premium listener premium subscriber in which case you can use premium at MacGeekGab.com and if you want to learn about how to be a premium subscriber please do visit us at MacGeekGab.com the phone number thank you well we thank you because it helped me pay for my iCloud Dave it's true yeah it's (laughs) totally true yeah absolutely (laughs) Uh, if you want to call us, no, it's totally, it's, you're absolutely right. And it's fair to point it out. Uh, if you want to call us, the phone number now is two, two, four, eight, eight, eight geek. 
which is John and has always been 4335. Visit us on Facebook. Go to uh, MacGeekUp.com slash Facebook. That'll bring you to our awesome Facebook community. Facebook group. Yes. I don't know why I called it a community, but it is a community. It's a fantastic group of people that uh, answer each other's questions. We, I mean, we're all, we all contribute there. It's, uh, it's, it, it's where you can interact with other MacGeekUp listeners throughout the week. It's a beautiful thing. Check us out. MacGeekUp.com slash Facebook. I'd like to thank... The folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, for providing all the bandwidth that it takes to get the show from us to you and all the storage for 10-plus years of podcasts. It's awesome. I uh, also want to thank all of our sponsors, of course. The new Power Photos from Fat Cat Software. Make sure to visit fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Imazing at imazing.com, where MGG saves you 20%. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, where MGG saves you 10%, and betterment.com slash MGG, where you can get up to six months for free. Of course, smile at smilesoftware.com, otherworld computing at maxsales.com, barebones software at barebones.com. And that, despite the extra day, We'll wrap up February for us and for you here in our Mac Geekab world. Send us your questions. Send us your logic questions because it's going to help me learn more about logic while we're helping you. And that's handy for all of us. I'd love to hear them. John, you started us off here. Get us out. But not without first sharing some perfect advice. I don't know how perfect it is. I mean, nothing's perfect. But um, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to end it. I'm going to suggest that you don't get caught. Made up.